In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Welcome to the Man Card Podcast and our mission to build an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best version of themselves in changing their world. Males are born. Men are made. We're going to separate the men from the boys. A man is as a man does. We want to help you to become the best version of you. Theodore Roosevelt spoke about this rare breed, saying the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. That's awesome. The man card belongs to those protecting integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God passionately, leading courageously, and finishing strong. A man is as a man does. Enjoy today's episode. To the men in the arena army, we salute you. We honor you for grinding it out in the stress bubble of life. Males retreat into the anonymous bleachers, but you've jumped into the arena and into the fray of manhood. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Man Card Podcast. Hey, guys, we are pumped that you're listening today. Our goal is to call you into the arena, to call you out of every obstacle preventing you from becoming the best version of you, and to call you up to higher levels of manhood. I'm Jim Ramos, and I'm here with the mix master. And PhD of sound, Dr. Pat George. How you doing, Pat? Doing good. Morning. Good to hear you. Your voice is sounding a little bit more manly sound, yep, than last yep, week. Yep, I was a little rough last a week. A little rough, a little late, yep. Yeah. And then I'm here also with our producer, co-host, and good friend, and my battle buddy, Dale Culver. And flight partner tomorrow. Oh, gosh. Don't worry. Oh, that's oh, right. We that's got a flight right. to Indiana. Yep. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. All I, right. I gave you the window seat. Well, I appreciate that. Hopefully, we don't have some other guy named... 400 pounder sitting on the other side no you'll just a, have a three big guys is negative 250 pounder next to you it's like negative that. ghost rider the pattern is full Dusek, what movie is that from top gun man okay i i, I knew i couldn't <laughs> fool you buddy so anyway so dale how you doing man you doing good today i'm actually doing really good yeah good. you found out we can recover the lost podcast episodes on the hard drive of yours that crashed when it when it uh gets here then i will be excited all right when the podcast get it Everyone wins. wins. Hey, do you got a man word for me today? I'm I gonna, do. I think I'm going to guess. I think I'm going to nail this one. So, because <laughs> I know how you roll. I know you well enough to know how you roll. You, you're not going to get I it. I am going to get it. You're not. Your man word today is the word rough. <laughs> and don't quote a Saturday Night Live Trebek thing. <laughs> Is the word rough? Is the word rough? I see you staring at the book in my hand, rough cut. No, in. no, yeah, it's not rough. No, it's not. It has okay. nothing to do. Okay, yeah. what is it? What is it? So, um, my word this morning is hero. So, anyways, last night my oldest had a, a date with a guy to go uh, to a movie. Did he survive? And uh, I was really concerned. My first question is, uh, does he love Jesus? Because that's always what I ask my daughter. <laughs> And they're always like, why? Why? Sorry. And anyways, she's like, leave me alone. She goes, and I get a text, and she says he didn't show up. He straight up stood her up. And so my daughter's at the theater broken. And so I went, and I I showed up. I said, is the movie good? And while I'm texting that, I'm buying popcorn, candy, and soda. And I walk in. the. She goes, yep. And I walk right through the door, and she's sitting there crying. Put my arm around her, and we watch Black Panther together. And... Then in the morning, she posted something. Dan Fleming said I should put this in the men in the arena. But she said, my dad is the, my greatest hero and why and, uh, and all that stuff. So uh, the reason why I was like, I'm, I don't want to toot my horn, but men, 
when your kids are broken, you need to step up and be there. And you should be your daughter's number one hero mm-hmm. and not some male. Um, yeah. And so that was, uh, for me, that just happened last night. I'm kind of going through that. I was able to bond with my daughter like probably never before uh, in a big way. So it was cool. Dude, that's powerful, it's man. Good, I'm man. proud of you. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, I was listening to Jeff Both's podcast that we had with him, and he said the glory of man is his wife. And I think there's something like that with your daughter, that your daughter's countenance, your daughter's confidence, uh, your, your, how your daughter chooses to live her life, that all is a reflection on you as her father while right. she's under your household. And so, man, I'm proud of you, man. I, I hope uh, you need some help in taking out the guy. Oh, uh, I got do, it do covered. Do we need to knock on his door? Um, <laughs> Dude, seriously, well, how weak sauce. You should have told your daughter to date a man, not a male. I did. Is he nameless? Oh. Oh, yeah, dude. we're not going to put his name out here <laughs> no, with thousands of people around the yeah. world. <laughs> hey, we're coming after yeah. you, Joe Bag of Donuts. Anyway, okay, man. Well, hey, before we bring our guest on today, I'm just really excited about our uh, Facebook forum for men, the men in the arena. That thing is just exploding. It's at 4,500 men now after only three and a half months. And then we had our first ever man card weekend, which was a huge success, which Pat George over here led that charge. We had 21 different churches represented in our first ever event, and it was just outstanding. So good job, Pat. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for the leadership. It was, it was really, really good. I thought so it was outstanding as well. It was really, really, it was, it was amazing. And so anyway, hey, I am really excited about my guest today. One of uh, our men in the arena from Oregon, uh, B.J. Talbot, said, hey, you've got to go look up this guy, David Dusek. He's got this thing called Rough Cut Men. And so I did, and I reached out to David. He was very gracious to come on our podcast and found out that David is not only a 1984 high school grad like myself, but he actually is uh, spent some time in Oregon, Lake Ridge High School. So, David, it's great to have you on the show, man. How you doing? Good, man. How are you? Dude, I'm really good. I'm really, really excited to hear from you. Uh, I've I read your book. I've went online and stalked the heck out of you. And uh, I've got some <laughs> questions, but let me read uh, David's bio first. He's the founder and executive director of Rough Cut Men Ministries. David is the, uh, he, and what they do is they utilize major motion picture clips as parables to engage mm-hmm. men on all spiritual levels. David travels around the country and the world using the Rough Cut Men movies and his powerful testimony to get men to be transparent with one another and with Jesus. He's spoken to thousands of men across the United States and the world, engaging them with other men in a David and Jonathan model friendship. Uh, He's been married to, uh, oh man, I forgot your wife's name. Uh, Joni. 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 It's J-O-N-I. That's, I didn't know if it was Johnny or Joni. Joni for 11... Just like Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell. Okay. (laughs) He's been married to her for 11 years. He is the author of Rough Cut Men, a a man's battle guide to building real relationships with uh, with each other and with Jesus. This was number one on Amazon uh, Men's Christian Living in 2016, uh, even surpassing John Eldridge, you told me. (laughs) For three hours. Wild at heart. Wild at heart. (laughs) Anyway, he's got a book coming out soon called The Battle Tactics for Biblical Manhood. Learn from the, oh gosh, LTG, what does that stand for? Lieutenant General. There we go. How Moore and the men of the LZ X-Ray. So got a civilian over here reading your uh, bio. So <laughs> highlights in his uh, career and accomplishments. Keynote speaker for U.S. Military Academy at West Point. That's awesome. And working the U.S. Army Worldwide, 101st Airborne, 1st Cavalry Division, 3rd Infantry Division, etc. in the U.S., Korea, and in Germany. Also is creating uh, a video series for the United States Army, and that's a whole other story we can talk about later. His passion in life, and I love this, is to break down the walls in the lives of men in an effort to combat isolation and friendlessness. In a word, they help find men find their battle buddy. I love that phrase. As they go through life to prevent, prevent them from isolation, which leads to addictions, alcoholism, domestic violence, and even suicide he lives in sarasota florida is that right is that did i pronounce yeah, that right that's correct okay oh wait hold on you've been married to Joni 13 years i'm sorry yes. i forgive me you've been doing the rough cut men for 11 years and yeah. they have a, a blended uh family chelsea 25 rachel 24 jordan a boy 23 michael 22 daniel 20 and a granddaughter addie and just had a grandson congratulations on bentley born february 21st so how yes. are you doing did i cover that all man 
You got it all, man. I, I know that you despise me like bragging about you uh, because you, you. I know you. I know that's tough, but uh, but I just want to let our guests know that we've got a Magnum guy on right now who's doing some great <laughs> things. And uh, so, thank you so much for taking the time, man. Oh man, thank you. The honor's the honor is all mine, brother. Man, I'm super excited. Before we get into our interview questions, though, we're gonna we're gonna put you in front of the firing squad. We call it our rapid fire round. And what I do in this round is I choose different sets of set questions and I will ask them. So for you, my friend, I have chosen the finish the sentence round. Oh, boy. Okay. So <laughs> I, and I've tried to pick questions or sentences that, that you would either resonate with or that you would, you would get them in a heartbeat. Okay. So All it's right. just a way for our guests to uh, get to know you better and for you to loosen up the juices here. So here's the first one. One major difference between Oregon and Florida is the sun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Vitamin D. What? Yeah. Yeah. And you, you lived in Oregon how long? Uh, from 78 to 99. So all 21 years. Oh, you were here longer than I thought. Oh, yeah. wow. Yep. Wow. Yeah. I, I'll tell I you could, what. I couldn't get away. Neither <laughs> <laughs> can we. I do miss the sun. My wife, <laughs> I have to get her to the sun about every six months. Luckily, Fortunately, she's uh, in the middle of Alaskan Airlines flight attendant school training as we speak. And so we'll be able to fly wherever we want for free. So I'll be able to get that vitamin D injection into her uh, on a regular basis. So here we go. Now, knowing what you do with rough cut men, I'm so curious because you mentioned so many of these. But here it is. My favorite movie is. We were soldiers. That's and honestly, that surprised me. When I watched that movie, I did not love the movie, but I'm going to watch that movie tonight. So t- explain well, to me what it was about that movie that set apart from Platoon, Saving Private Ryan, Full Metal Jacket, and the likes. I am a first Cav guy. And so every year I go to the reunion of Landing Zone X-Ray where all of the guys who are portrayed in the movie are in the room. Oh, so wow. I have a deep personal relationship with all the guys that were on that battlefield in November of 65. Um, and it's also actually, believe it or not, probably uh, in terms of accuracy, the most accurate war movie ever made. Now, obviously, Saving Private Ryan, granted, you know, June 6, 1944, yeah. brilliant job on Omaha Beach. But after that, I mean, James Ryan didn't exist. Um, but yeah. other than tw- other than twe- uh, tweaking a lot of who said what, because obviously you can't have 395 speaking parts in a movie. Uh, they they kept the integrity of what occurred in that 72 hours in Vietnam pretty close to accurate. And you can ask any of the guys that were there. I even actually have a cop, a hardcover copy of the book that was written by General Moore and Joe Galloway, uh, signed by everybody. So if my house ever catches fire, I'm grabbing the wife and the book, and the rest of it can go up in flames. Because that's awesome. Yeah. So that's wow. why I'm, I'm I'm partial to that movie. Now you have been on uh, the nor- the beach in Normandy because you have videos that you've shot there, right? And you've been to the yes. cemetery where Saving Private Ryan was filmed. That What is that? The What is the name of that cemetery? Well, it's, it's the American Cemetery, um, and it's about 200 meters above the beach right there. So they just brought... They just brought people up the hill, and that's where they ended up putting... Da- David, do you know how many men are buried there? Uh, 9,387. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, I, because exactly you, because you were coming on the podcast, I watched Saving Private Ryan last night, yeah. and the first I watched, I had forty minutes left on the movie, but the first twenty minutes, it's just, uh, it's unbelievable that men could survive and go forth and conquer, and the bravery of these guys, uh, it's just unbelievable. It gives it gives you a whole new perspective when you stand in a Nazi bunker and you look out from their firing position. Uh, and honestly, the only way that we won that initial push was we put more bodies on the beach than they could possibly return fire to. Wow. That was the only way, because when you look at where they are and what, what their positions were, and of course, taking into account the mines and everything else that were littered around that beach, it's also about 500 meters from the foot of the hill to the water. So we're talking about, uh, you know, in a dead run, you'd have to go four laps around a track at a high school to get from the water to begin to go up the hill. So it just, uh, I actually had to stop. We filmed a, a, a army series uh, in 
wherever the movies were filmed. So I filmed Rudy in the Game Bay locker room in Notre Dame. I filmed Armageddon on the floor of Mission Control at Johnson Space Center. And when it came time to do Saving Private Ryan, there was really no, no other place I'd rather be than on that ground. And I had to stop filming at least four times because I started sobbing. Because, I yeah. mean, when you stand on that sand, uh, it is some of the most hallowed ground in the world. Yeah, You know, yeah. when you think about what, what occurred – on, in, in 1944 on that beach. So in the opening scene of Private Ryan, when they're they're dropping the doors and the guys are coming out of the boats, they are getting, being shot at from over 500 yards away? Yeah. Oh, gosh. And and so it was just, they just, I was thinking that. You just can't shoot all the men. They were, no, they were, they were also, sitting targets. And, sitting. and they, were, they were also several hundred feet above beach level. So they had the elevated firing position, which is always a win. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. High ground. Wow. Well, I'm going to move yep. into our third question for you here. My Popeye moment. You remember Popeye, right? Popeye the yep. sailor. My Popeye yep. moment is. What does that mean? So like what, what wrecks you? What is like, what it really gets you to say, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. What is your Popeye moment? Probably seasonal traffic in Southwest Florida. <laughs> <laughs> That's deep. That's good. Super oh, deep. one thing we don't have in Oregon. So one thing that we don't have in Oregon. So no, when you're sur- when you're surrounded by license plates from Michigan, Indiana. No offense to my northern brothers, but man, y'all have got to learn how to drive. I mean, it just when you're making when you're making right hand turns out of the far left lane on the interstate at 20 miles an hour, or you miss your off ramp and you stop in the fast lane on the interstate. Uh, that's my Popeye moment. Both eyes actually pop out at that point. Oh, that's so <laughs> funny. Oh, that's, that's such a. Such that's a funny... my rage. That's my road rage trigger right there. So. I love it. Gosh. Hey man, if I were governor of Florida for a day, I would. One day. Man, I don't even begin. Probably outlaw seasonal traffic. <laughs> <laughs> I had one guy said, "Feed the feed my state pizza for a day." Uh, anyway, right. I love it. Outlaw seasonal traffic. Last question. And I think I know the answer to this one. If I could change one thing about my life, it would be? Probably. Well, currently, if I could do anything supernaturally, I'd, I'd push the reset button about two decades ago, but I can't do that. <laughs> um, and I just lost 60 pounds since last April, so the weight thing is under control. Um, you know, I, I probably, if I could change anything about me personally or my circumstances. Either way. Um, I would... I, I would love to have a more viable, solid relationship with my oldest son because he's my prodigal. Is this we've Jordan? Had a lot. Jordan? It's Jordan. Yeah, we've had a lot of, uh, and, and I own you know 100% of my 50%. And uh, through a divorce, and then obviously you know his mother passed away in 2009. Uh, just a big mess, and we've you know we're slowly recovering, uh, but there's still a whole lot of resonating from the artillery cannon next yeah. to his head that went off. And I think if I could have anything better uh i would love to have a, a better relationship with him because he's got my granddaughter addie who's three and uh truthfully i've probably only seen her a dozen times in three years and they live about 15 minutes away so that's if i could change anything that's probably what it would be you and i should do lunch we have some similar stuff but you know what's cool <laughs> man i really appreciated your vulnerability in the book when you shared about Jordan and, and his struggles and your relational stuff, and then you shared about your relationship with your dad. Yeah. And I would just tell you, if 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 that can get fixed, your relationship with Jordan will be fixed. I have total confidence in that. I, and so, I received that. Amen. So we'll have to talk a little bit after the podcast. But um, <laughs> so you lost 60 pounds. What, did you, what were you yeah. up to? I was at uh, 249, and I'm down around 188 as of this morning. Wow. Yeah. We, I've, uh, we got to talk about that too. I've got some issues I got to deal with. So, Hey, uh, but before we, I dive into, I'm going to divert from selfish uh, questions and, and I just ask you, man, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your story, personal life, the things you enjoy, hobbies, things you make that make you tick? I love to travel and God is good. I've lived uh, a lifetime of bucket lists in probably the last decade of ministry. I've you know, been in the Shire in New Zealand where they film Lord of the Rings I just, on Omaha Beach. I've been all over the place. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a great. Uh, I've had a great life, you know. And if the Lord called me home tomorrow, I'd be solid. Um, I love to fish. 
Uh, I two places I don't go. I don't go to the beach. I don't go to Disney World, and they're right next door. Um, I, uh, you know, life changes, and obviously with a brand new grandson, and they're coming over again this afternoon, and uh, they're still learning what their first time parents, so they haven't quite figured out the combination yet on on sleep, eat, poop, you know that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we're helping them through that. So really, when their life changed, so did ours. So now I have a a completely new passion. Uh, which is breathing life and Jesus into my new grandson. Uh, so I got another boy to raise, and I, I didn't do too well on the first pass, so God's good. I get another shot at it. Sweet. Well, we just found out that we uh, we have a granddaughter who's two years old, so we're in the same kind of boat. And so we get her once a week, and she spends the night, and uh, we're just oh, uh, wow. we're just loving it. We're just ruining her and spoiling her and then sending her back to punish, <laughs> punish my oldest son. So anyway, hey, I, I, so I want to talk about Rough Cut Men. And uh, I'm trying to understand this. Obviously, it's part of what you do when you go into places and show these movies. But what exactly, When if I were to watch one of these movies, I thought it was a bunch of clips. But it sounds like you focus on one movie and then go on location. Tell me how this works. Okay. Um, I'll give you the Reader's Digest condensed history of what happened. Uh, I started out training men's leaders uh, and pastors on the elements of building a sustainable men's ministry through Man in the Mirror. Uh, Pat Morley's book back yeah. in the day. Yep. Um, and I was kind of a, a, a boots on the ground, if you will, sort of almost a franchisee uh, who was focusing on Florida. And at the end of every one of these trainings, which was basically just a four hour uh, kind of a paint by numbers training that Pat's been doing forever, uh, guys would, would fill out these these surveys. And when it came to the question, what do you like? What did you like the most about the training? It wasn't the content or or any of the material, it turned out that it was actually my transparency using my train wreck of a life as a visual illustration for what the guys were going through in their respective churches. So ultimately, I ended up, um, ultimately what I ended up doing was a guy came up and asked me if I would um, speak in Dothan, Alabama at a men's conference. He said, would you come over for a weekend? Yeah, that... I know that, that no man left behind. Uh, I, uh, I was asked by a, a church in Dothan, Alabama to speak for their entire weekend. And of course we were new into ministry and we were, we were, God is good. We were getting manna by the day, but Hey, it had an honorarium. So I said, okay, I'll do that. I had seven hours to drive home and the entire seven hours I was in an abject panic because I only knew four hours worth of content. And I, I got home and I asked my wife, I said, well, what are we going to do about this? You know, I've got a weekend I have to speak and I don't know what to talk about. So why don't you take all the movie clips that you've written down uh, and create an event out of those and go do that? I said, that's a great idea. And so what I did on the first pass of the Rough Cut Men movie experience event was I put together the movie clips and then wrote a bunch of stuff in the middle and it became what it is today. Uh, obviously, it's gone through a whole lot of refining over time. Uh, but then what ultimately happened is the velocity of rough cut men started to take off. And I was doing two things. I was training and I was also doing this rough cut men thing. And it's kind of neophyte stage. And I ended up jettisoning leadership training side of it and going directly to rough cut men. Uh, and that's when God opened the doors into the military and uh, we ended up in the army and all that. But what I do is I go in and I do four sessions. Uh, first one deals with, basically battle ready friendship you know who's uh the the topic is uh, it's all about the fire team and a fire team is what you have in your humvee when the gate opens and you're downrange on enemy ground you got a guy driving one guy on shotgun one guy on the radio and back and a guy with his head through the roof on a 50 cal and we have an enemy the bible says it wants to steal kill and destroy and who do you have in your humvee when you're outside the wire and so i work on uh putting up uh, kind of militarizing and re remasculinizing what it means to be a man in the church. Then I move forward into the three elements of friendship, support, encouragement, and accountability. And then I deal with things like soul wounding, father wounding, and then ultimately we close out with legacy. So I use different clips along the way from each different movie, uh, usually three to four per session uh, to drive points home, anywhere from Saving Private Ryan right on down to The Incredibles. I mean, it just depends on on the topic that we're talking about. Um, when you talk about the, the movie side, we, we took eight of the sessions I do live 
and created video content for the army that's streaming on a separate website. Uh, there's, it's secure. And these guys can go in and actually, yeah. I'm the virtual speaker. And instead of me being behind a podium and then showing a movie clip on film, we actually went to where the movies were filmed for me to do all the speaking. So I did Rudy in the game day locker room in Notre Dame. I did Forrest Gump on the deck of a shrimp boat in Battery, Alabama. Uh, I did Top Gun sitting in the cockpit of an F-14 on the deck of Yorktown. Uh, so everywhere, you know, we, we went everywhere that the movies were filmed. A lot of fast moving content, a lot of B-roll. Uh, and they're just really cool. And ultimately, you know, we do hope to transition that into the church side. But since we raised nearly a quarter million dollars to do this project for the Chaplain Corps, they've got first, you know, first rights on it. Uh, and then ultimately we'll probably repackage it and make it available to the church world as well. Gosh, that's so, so you're, you're playing movie clips and then you're shooting on location video and then you're coming in live to explain it and interact with the, those two things. Actually, I'm I, what if I was at the live event, I would be standing up on a platform with notes, and then I would say, "Hey, let's watch this clip from Saving Private Ryan." And then when it comes back, all, all the aha moments come after that. Well, what we did was on the Saving Private Ryan one, for example, I opened standing on a bunker right at the bottom uh, of of Pulp de Hawk, where the Second Rangers climbed up the hill, and I do all the setup. And then we go to the movie clip, which is the last six minutes and 23 seconds of the movie. And when we come back where the old man is standing in the cemetery, I'm standing in the exact same spot he is to do the aha moments. So I'm walking down the same red sidewalk and That's awesome. uh, I actually knelt, uh, knelt on the sand and held it in my hand. I saw we that. Hired, we hired an amazing producer and he just was brilliant. <laughs> you know, I'm an idiot. I just stood there and flapped my chops and he turned it into these epic 25 minute motion pictures are phenomenal. That is so well. And, and, and you hit the nail on the head. Men are so visual to sit there and talking head them all day long. Isn't going to work. You've got to give right. them things. And especially when you're dealing with warriors, you know, showing these clips of, uh, of war movies and being on location, man, that is just powerful, powerful stuff. Yeah. We were soldiers. We shot right Doughboy field at Fort Benning and I stood underneath the paratrooper towers. And I mean, so it resonates, it resonates with any guy. If you've seen the movie, uh, if you've seen any movie, you know, uh, you'll know, like, uh, we don't act when in the video side of it, we didn't give away where I was, uh, on the Rudy until later, we kept everything, uh, pixelated in the back. We kind of bokeh, you know, fuzz it all out. And until the clip came back and I said, I'm sitting in the middle of Daniel Rudiger's dream and the camera flies back and I'm sitting right where the ND is in the carpet, same, same locker room that Rudy does his, you know, Gipper speech, you know, it was just. It was cool. And, and then, of course, the book, which is a whole different thing. I wrote on a dare after a publisher and I were out uh, fishing one day and he said, you know, I've read your blogs are really good. Have you ever thought of writing a book? And I took all the live content and turned it into a book made and for success. Was he at made for success publishing? Was that the guy? Yeah. Well, no, actually, it was a different publisher at the time. We switched over to uh, made for success is up actually up in Seattle. Oh, really? Okay. They're on your coast. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, hey, yeah. you, you know, I, I, I'm going through your book and there's things in there that really resonated with me. You talk about Forrest Gump and you talk about the relationship with Bubba and Forrest, yeah. especially the night when they're on guard watch in Vietnam and they're yeah. they're sitting back to back and Forrest, uh, I'm sorry. And then they, uh, they talk about, you know, and you talk about in your book on page 25 about men who have hundreds of acquaintances but very few friends. Yeah. And then you have a you have one of your guys, David, who's your accountability yeah. partner. I've got two guys that are sitting in the room with me right now. You call these your battle buddy. But how, how does a man transition from uh, acquaintance style relationship to a battle buddy? That's a great that's a great question. And and because it's really in, a, in the awkward culture that we in. You, you, we're in. You can't really walk up to a guy that you've been going to church with for five or six years and say, "Hey, man, you know, we've been friends for a while, and I think it's time for us to take our relationship to the next level." That would just be weird. Um, so, what I've found, uh, much like dating, much like getting married, is time. Time is where the trust is developed. Until I spend time with you, I'm not going to trust you. And if I don't trust you, we're never going to have a relationship. Yeah. So, almost an algorithm of time develops trust. Trust will create relationship. And then ultimately, relationship will open the door to discipleship once you get far enough downrange. But my relationship with David is a decade old, and it went—he was my boss, and yeah. it just 
he came in and yelled at me one day for talking to my wife funny on the telephone. And that's how our relationship started. But since then, we've been through near bankruptcy, the collapse of the housing market, the death of both of our mothers-in-law. I raised teenage girls about five clicks ahead of him. So, you know, when he got to those stages, he's like, is it normal for their head to spin around on their shoulders 360? It's like, yeah, don't worry yep. about it. They'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll come back to earth. Just, you know, just make sure that. Just make sure you're the one that's telling them they're the most beautiful woman in the world because if you ain't loving on them, some other idiot will be. Yeah, and that's how we got through it. You know, that, um, that is so good. So, so Pat George is my sound guy here, and he's my accountability partner. We meet every Monday, and he was my chiropractor when I had a real bad back injury that led to surgery. And through that process, we just said, "Hey, let's do coffee." And and I want to yeah. talk about that a little bit later on the podcast. But what, yeah. in your opinion, is the difference between an acquaintance and a friend? What's the difference? What's the line of demarcation? Well, it depends on the perception or the reality. Um, an acquaintance is a guy I could walk by and pound his fist, read his name badge. I might know what his favorite school is or where he went to college because it's written on the side of his mug. You know, I mean, I, or he's got a, a shirt on of his favorite band. So suddenly I realize he's an Allison Chains fan, too, or whatever. I mean, that's our common link up. Um, my small group now is uh, I go to a really big church, like 15,000. Um, and I've got a 22 man. We're actually we're. We're beta testing rough cut men just for fun at my own church. And it's a group that I don't want to lead, but I just happen to be there. And it's a room full of 22 really good acquaintances. Uh, they've been traveling together for a while. Um, you break through from acquaintance to battle um, when the wheels come off of something and you know who you got to call. Uh, I'll use an illustration of, of a standard, standard issue deployment. Let's say you've got four cavalry scouts that are downrange with the 101st or uh, with the first cab division. And on day one of the deployment, they all hop into this Humvee. They've really, they, they're in the same unit, but it's a big unit. It's kind of like knowing everybody at your high school. You may or may not know much about them. So you exchange your hometown, how many kids you got, are you married? You know, where'd you go to school? Uh, but here's what you see happen on like the eighth month of deployment on the first day of month eight, these guys have been together now for 239 days. They hop into the Humvee, and the guy on the right side looks at the driver, and the driver looks at him. It looks like the passenger just had his cat killed. And he said, are you all right? And the guy in the passenger seat will say, well, no, I'm not. I just found out that my wife is having an affair back home with our neighbor, and I'm here, and I can't do anything about it, and I'm really ticked off, and I'm hurt. That's the difference between an acquaintance and a, and a battle buddy. That's that's where you go from an acquaintance to a friend is the man you know you can trust is the guy that you'll call at two in the morning and know he'll pick up the phone. It's going to that deeper level in the relationship, which is built over time. And according to what you said, uh, this crisis or wheel wheels falling off uh, these sure. moments when when we're forced into a deeper scenario. So that's really good, man. Yeah. Hey, I, I um. I've got two uh, Dave David Dusek quotes that I love, uh, and I've actually I've got a I've got a notes section in my phone, and I have life quotes, and I have actually two of yours in there. And here's the first one, and I think this is really goes to the acquaintance versus friendship. And here's your quote on page forty four: "Those who have nothing to hide, hide nothing. nothing." And you said that at least two times in the book. So how, how, how do these men, how do secrets hurt men? How do secrets hurt a, a, a relationship that could be a friendship, but now it's an acquaintance? What is your thought on the quote, those who have nothing to hide, hide nothing? Well, it was generated as a, you know, uh, on the heels of, of a professional golfer who had a complete and total meltdown. You know, and Yeah, you mentioned him his, in the book. Yeah, his phone was sitting on the counter and his wife picked it up and it was a text from one of the people he'd been seeing when he was out on the road and mm. um truly if if you can't hand your wife if, if you, <laughs> they're asking if you, me and i'm telling them yeah, it's, it's tiger it's tiger woods you wrote um, his if, name in your book so i figured I, it's not a secret <laughs> I, I couldn't do it on video because i didn't want to be immortalized on video uh, i understand well we're not th this is an audio podcast okay good 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 uh and he did and he lost his golf anointing if yeah. there is such a thing so whatever uh, <laughs> it's true you know, if, you, if you can't hand your phone off to your wife uh if you know if your wife says let me see your phone i need to look something up and you have to scramble through it and shut down windows before you hand it to her uh, then you've got an issue. And because a man of integrity uh, will not ever put himself in a position where he could be potentially jeopardizing the most important relationship 
that he has. A man of integrity hides nothing because the Bible says that there's nothing in the dark that won't be brought into the light. I mean, we're going to get yeah, caught. Yeah. No, ma- yeah. no matter how crafty you think you are. And, you know, accountability is a three-stage rocket. I mean, it's friendship, it's, it's support, it's encouragement, and it's accountability. And in the church side of it, accountability is, it conjures up horrible thoughts in men's lives, like some dude going through your, your internet history um, or, or scoping out your bank account. But really what you're doing when, you, when you're in an accountable relationship with another guy is you're giving him permission to hold you to account anytime your words or your actions no longer align with who you say you are in Christ. And if he detects that, he, you've, you've given him permission to go weapons hot right on your butt if, if you do something stupid. And that's the left to our own devices. The whole isolation thing. I travel a lot. Uh, you know, you've got to have guardrails in place. You've got to have overwatch is what we would say in the military. You've got to have somebody on the rooftop with a 50 cal sniper rifle, making sure that the enemy's not going to shoot you in the back while you're not looking. Um, and tactically, that's pretty much the same way we need to live our lives as men. You're alluding to Forrest Gump. You know, Bubba says, you lean back against me, I'll lean right back against you. That way we don't have to sleep with our heads in the mud. That's yes. how. That's exactly the words that he says. And you can actually sit. There's only one way that tactically two men can cover a 360-degree perimeter, and it's sitting back to back. So without that guy, your backside's wide open. That is so good, man. Hey, we're going to come right back. We're going to have a short cool. word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. The Man Card Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is building an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best version of themselves and changing their world. The war to change your world is epic. Every battle counts. Every man in the arena matters. So get in the game by joining our closed Facebook forum for men called The Men in the Arena. There you will lock arms with men from all around the world. This is a great page, guys. Hey, if you want to learn more about becoming the best version of you, go to themancardpodcast.com, grab a copy of The Field Guide, my bathroom book for men, with 365 Daily readings about what a man is and does using famous quotes and epic stories. I wrote this book for men who don't read books. Guys, you're going to love this book. Pick up a copy today following this episode. Thank you again for jumping into the arena with us and championing the greatest battle of our time, the fight to change your world. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. So you really got me going here, man. This accountability uh, thing, David, as I read your book and as I hear you speak, I'm like, this guy, if he lived back in Lake O, we would be friends because the way you interact uh, really uh, is very similar to me. I love what I love what you had to say about these uh, battle buddy or accountability partner relationships. You know, Pat George and I are accountability partners. He's right here. He's my sound guy. He's on my board and his role on the board is friend uh, from a Solomon uh, when Solomon became king, wisest man in the world, his one of his cabinet members, the title he gave him was friend. So I have that guy to keep me in line. And we meet every Monday for coffee. And and I would say, I don't know, Pat, 60% of our stuff, 70% is just hanging out and just talking. But then there's yeah. that 30, 30% gets a little bit serious. Or would you say it's more of a 60-40? No, I'd say it, it, it is probably 60-40, You know, we're just... Uh, in, in hanging out and just having discussion, I mean, that's doing life. So we're doing life and and uh, getting in each other's uh, business a little bit. And yeah. then, then we ask those hard questions. And you have the freedom to do that because you've done the other stuff first. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so what we've done is our accountable relationship. I love what you said in your book. You said, hey, sometimes there's a dumpy, sometimes there's a dumper. It's not a Bible study. It's, we don't do, we did one book study. We find it's better if it's just organic. Right now what I'm doing is I'm, every morning, I'm sending Pat a text with my body weight on it because I am heavier than I've been in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And so he, he jumped all over my crap because of it. And so, and sometimes I'm jumping on him. Like I had to confront yeah. him Monday. I said, Hey, in this situation, you know, it sounded like you lied. And he and so we talked it through and we realized he didn't lie. But that's <laughs> that's but it's a very informal thing, yet we're we're looking for certain things. And I, I loved how, how you described your relationship. I think in the guys think that this is some kind of big formal thing. And it doesn't wow. have to be this deal. So talk me through uh, what you see in accountable relationships. Well, I, I'm only the subject expert on my own. Yeah. Um, but 
again, it's a three, it's a three phase, kind of a three phase rocket. Like I said, it's, there's a support element, there's an encouragement element, uh, and there's an accountability element. And we'll take a, we'll take our focus off of accountability for a minute, but one passing shot uh, over the bow on accountability is we always focus on the negative. We talk about pornography or you know how your relationship is with your wives or your kids or your finances. But let me just say that an accountability partner also has a benefit because it is possible, especially as church guys, man, no is a four letter word in the church. And if people ask you to do stuff, you can find yourself rapidly hyper committed. And the things that get neglected are the number one ministry, your wife, your kids, yep. uh, all that. Um, that's, that's, uh, it's possible to get immersed in doing too much of a good thing. And I had this situation arise with David where he was doing, uh, leading five different Bible studies during the week. And I was trying to find time we could get together and pray and he didn't have any available time left. So it's like, wait a minute, you know what, what, uh, what, what's that all about? And I said, forgive me, but I think you might be doing too much of a good thing. And he backed out of a couple of things and, and passed them off to somebody else. So that's that's my la- my parting shot on the accountability side. I can also count on one hand how many times my father, who's now 81 years old, has said he's proud of me. And I probably have at least one finger left, uh, you know, depending on what part of our relationship you look at. We'll let you determine what finger it is. But anyway, um, we've... <laughs> we've uh, He's been that guy. Uh, David has been the guy who uh, will encourage me when I'm in a pit. Uh, we'll say, you know what? You're a good man. He'll just, words are free. You know, edification costs you nothing. And he's very good uh, at, at propping me up. And it, it's different than my wife or my mom because they're both supposed to say we're the most handsome man in the world. Yeah. You know, right? Your wife is supposed to say, you're, you're, wow, you're hot, dude. And your mom's supposed to say, oh, you're so handsome, even when you look like you just got hit by a bus. Uh, but this guy, he'll just say, look, I was, I was tracking some of the work you were doing. You're doing a really good job. Um, he's always supporting me when I'm, when I travel, which is about 140 days a year. So, I mean, he's always checking in on me. Now he also will send me a text message while I'm driving some rental car and he'll, uh, I'll look at it when I get to a light, obviously. Uh, and it'll say something like, you know, what are you thinking about right now? So he's always keeping me in check, uh, as far as the accountability side is concerned. And then there's a support piece where I'm ready to give up something. Uh, uh, I'm ready to quit. Uh, he's right there to say, you know, I don't care how tired you are. You, you can't, you got to keep going. That's and good, man. That's, I mean, I know that's the, the different parts of the, and it's a different, depending on the week, it can be a different role. Yeah, totally. Well, that's exactly what we're finding. And I, we meet Mondays at eight o'clock and <clears throat> it's my best start to the week. Mm-hmm. And I look forward to it. I don't neglect it. I don't, uh, I, I I'm really excited about that. I think guys need to have that. You talked about in your book, this uh, 72 to 12, 12 to 3, three one. to 1, and that battle buddy is the one, right? right. Now, when you, talk, when you talk about two-by-two two relationships, is that the same as your battle buddy? Yeah, that's a two-by-two two combat cover formation. And really, if you look, you can take 72, 12, 3, and 1, which is Jesus' overarching model. Yeah. If you look at Luke 10, where he sent the disciples out, uh, brilliant you know, tactician, the creator of the universe, actually knew that a man traveling alone would get killed. So he sent the disciples out two yeah. by two. Uh, the model's sitting right in front of us when we open the word, yep. but we, we tend to forget. Uh, but if you look at the on the military side, everybody in the army belongs to a division, which will then shrink down to a brigade, which will then shrink down to a battalion, to a company, down, down to a platoon, to a squad, to a fire team. Yeah. You start out uh, at a half a million and you're down to four. And really, if you want to win the war, you don't win it on a division parade ground where everyone's in class A uniforms. You know, 6,000 people strong with a band and flyovers and finger sandwiches. You win the war. You, 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 no, I'm serious. You win. If you want to build a strong army, you build it from the bottom up. So it's the four yeah. man teams that are outside the wire in contact with the enemy. That's where the war is won. Not, on the, not when everyone looks all happy and they got their shoes all shined up. And yeah. it's the same thing with us. It ain't Sunday morning when you sit on one end of the pew, your wife's on the other, your kids are all in the middle got that fake smile on your face just to get through an hour and 15 minutes so you can get back to arguing with your wife when you get back in the car. I mean, that's, that's what, that's the division parade ground. Your Monday morning at eight o'clock, that's the Humvee. That's where you do life. And that's what every man needs to survive life and survive this walk uh, that we so cavalierly throw around on Sunday morning. 
it's a dirty, ugly battle with an enemy that does not play fair. That's so and good. We need, to, we need to fight like he's not going to play fair. That is so good. That finger food thing got me laughing. Just, <laughs> you can't talk to a big guy about finger food. Come on now. You know better now. Anyway, <laughs> hey, but, uh, you know, it's really interesting because I think, uh, do, you, do, you th do you think, here's a question, do you think that men shrink back from these two-by-two, two, these battle buddy relationships because there's something deeper? And let me explain what I mean by that. Robert Bly, in his book called Iron John, wrote about this father wound. And then John Eldridge, later on in his book, Wild at Heart, addressed this wound. You yep. also spend a significant time in your book addressing the wound, especially through the movie clip Rudy and Johnny yeah. Cash in Walk the Line. And yeah. then you talked about in your book your own father wound. And then you had said that when you want to uncover the father wound, look at the wound of the father and yep. how prevalent is this father wound in men shrinking back from battle buddy type of relationships? Or is it a well, factor I, at all? I think it is, but I think it's how it translates into secondary relationships. Um, if it's if I always had to impress my father, then I come into any relationship with another man uh, talking about how, you know, I want to make sure that he thinks I've got all my ducks in a row. I think a more prevalent reason that caused men to run away from these types of relationships is they've been burned before. And, you know, uh, you know, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice. I ain't going there. You know, and I think that a lot of cases men reject this type of relationship because they put they went all in at some point, whether it's with their dad or whether it's with a prior spouse. Uh, they've invested everything they had into a relationship that ultimately they got backdoored on. It blew up. Uh, it was clearly the other person's fault. So they're only going to go an inch deep and stay a mile wide because if they go, you know, if they invest their whole heart, uh, they're going to get burned again. So we see that a lot. I, I see that more than anything. The guys that, that that keep that mask on because it's a lot easier than being transparent because the last time they took it off, uh, they got burned. And I think that's that's more of a reason why guys will not engage in accountable relationships. It's, I don't trust you. And that's why, because we skip over the spending time part like you do on Monday and I do on Monday. Yeah. Uh, and we try to, you know, we you go pull into a church and they hang these banners that say it's the year of discipleship. And a guy just looks that side and goes, I have no idea what that means. Because, you know, if you look at the life of Paul and Timothy, Paul used to go over to grandma's house for dinner while Timothy was, you know, while they were hanging out. I mean, Paul knew Timothy's family, everything else. And he was given permission late in his life as some of his parting words to write first and second Timothy to his young protege. But he earned that right by developing a trust uh, and developing a relationship with young Timothy prior to saying, here, let me, let me show you how to finish. Well, he, he earned that right. And I think we skip over that thinking, you know, in a fast food culture that we can somehow go from, you know, how's, you know, are you married to what's your thought life? Like you can't, you can't go that fast. Yeah. Well, so now this, we our guys that listen to this podcast, we call them our men in the arena. Uh, by the arena, we're saying these are guys living in a stress bubble, 25 to 45. Yeah. Uh, there are these young men like Jordan who have just a brand new baby in the home. They have no idea what they're doing. And so we've, we've read books. We've talked a lot about this father wound. What advice would you give these guys to, so that they would not wound the children they're raising. So how could we, oh. how could, I mean, I mean, I mean, we, we learn, you know, we live, we live in hindsight, but we, we want to look forward and we want to give foresight to this next generation. So, Absolutely. so what would you say to these guys? Well, I give them four words first. It ain't about you. <laughs> um, because, you know, you die to self when you start raising a family. And I learned the hard way because I tried to, uh, balance two different lives. Uh, I had a work life. Uh, the, the relationship wasn't going well. So then ultimately I immersed myself in my job, uh, because I got gratification out of that on one hand. And it also kept me, uh, away from, uh, an unfulfilling relationship because it was all about me. You know, I mean, had to have the nicest car and had to keep adding things onto the house. And I had my two kids and we were great parents, but it was all, it was all a lot. It was all crap. Yeah. And then I then I decided one night to pull the pin and roll a grenade right into the middle of the living room and destroy everybody mm. in the process um, because it was all about me. And until I, I had a head on collision with the cross after losing all of that, uh, I didn't really realize 
unfortunately too little too late in some cases, but uh, I didn't realize that it wasn't about me until I got to that point. Uh, so now I do things a lot differently. Um, I don't like people reading my bio. I don't like people clapping for me when I'm done speaking. Yeah. Uh, it makes me uncomfortable because I'm afraid to speak to people in public. I'm afraid of public speaking. And God did away with that fear just so I could go do his work. So that book that you have, the live event, the video series, it's all him. Yeah. And if I look down, if I go downstairs in my house right now uh, and I look at the, I'm married, I, I, I completely outpunted my coverage on the second marriage. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I married way above my pay grade. And I, if I lose sight of the fact that it's about her, it's about the kids. I've been, I held my grandson when he was two hours old last week, week ago today. And I looked down at him and his eyes were open, I mean, which is crazy. And he's looking right at me. He can't see me because he's completely fogged out. And I realized, all right, I have another mission now. I have, this is my next generation yeah. of mission. Uh, because, you know, when you die, uh, which there's a 100% certainty that's going to happen, people are going to be talking about us. And, you know, for the younger guys who are raising families and just getting started in the workplace, if you can fast forward and come back 50 years after you die, go to the office and ask and, and look around and see what they're saying about you. Uh, 50 years later, that's probably going to be nothing. But if you go home, they're going to be talking about you. What will they be saying? Because that's your legacy. You know, words have a long shelf life. Yeah. And when we're, unless you've got a building with your name on the side of it, we're gone, man. The only thing that's going to be left is what they're saying about us. Uh, that's our legacy. Our legacy is nothing more than the words that people are saying about us. And that should that should give you focus. I mean, that should give you focus and take it from a guy who train wrecked the first 33 years of his 52 years. Um, you, my mission now is to make sure guys don't pull the same boneheaded crap that I did. You know, that's yeah, really what, yeah. that's what motivates me. That's what keeps me up at night. That's what gets me up early is I can see it on the periphery at my church and I, you know, I can see it in the, in culture. And if it's about you, it's it's not a matter of if, but when things are going to fall apart because it ain't about you. Oh, that's so good, man. Well, you know, um, I was just talking about my grandpa who died about ten years ago, and just reflecting on the great legacy he left. And on page one fifty of your book, you said, "This is my Dave David Dusek quote number two: Your last impression is your, <laughs> your lasting last impression." And yeah, so, man. so one of the, we have five asks we've, we've, we have, I literally just finished writing the book called the man card. And, um, uh, we take five characteristics and say, these things make a man, a man protecting integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God, passionately leading courageously and finishing strong. And that finishing strong is a chip on my shoulder. I just don't see it in this world today. I see a bunch of whiners, a bunch of quitters, uh, you know, no fart, no fault, no fart divorce, divorce, no fault, divorce. Uh, you know, it's nobody's fault. It just is expected all of these things. And so we've raised a generation of quitters and, uh, that really, really bothers me. And so when you talk about your lasting impression, you're saying your finish is important. And especially if your start is crappy, <laughs> So talk, talk us through this uh, quote, man. Your last impression is your lasting impression. Let me give you the most vivid illustration I possibly can. Uh, and it's not in the book. It's new. Ooh, uh, yeah. You know how, how God gives you these aha moments. And I am going to be revising the book, you know, when it's 10 years old. And it's coming up. And uh, it's just one more thing that I haven't had time to do. <laughs> but, oh, I've, uh, got a, I've got something for you. In Facing the Giants, he was a, not a linebacker. He was a defensive lineman. Oh, was Just he? A, yeah. They called him an well, end, but he was a lineman. So there you go. There's a change. He's a youth. He's a uh, he's a youth pastor now up in Chattanooga. Oh, that's his so name, funny. His anyway, name, his sorry. Name is, his name is really Jason. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, Omaha Beach. Uh, part of the filming process involved a lot of B-roll, so I didn't get a chance to say very much. And you know, the camera is a big gyro cam, you know, stabilized unit that he's flying around the back of my head as I'm kneeling in front of a tombstone. And all 9,387 of those tombstones are formatted exactly the same. So as I'm looking at this tombstone, uh, I see as, uh, on the top line is always the name. Uh, the second line is their rank and who they were with. This particular guy happened to be a second lieutenant with the 101st Airborne. Um, the third line is the state that they're from, which was Mississippi, and the day they died, which happened to be June 5th, 1944, 
because even though it was a day before D-Day, uh, the airborne guys came in two days ahead of schedule. So he oh, was that's right. Guy. And they got yeah. hammered so and he, they had their sticks he, were dropping yeah. everywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was KIA the day before D-Day, but he's he's interred in the cemetery uh, with everybody else. And, and so here I am kneeling in front of this thing. And I started to think about this guy's life. And then I started thinking about the tombstone. And I'll just ask you, name, rank, unit he's with, state he's from, date of death. Every single tombstone I have ever seen in my life has a piece of information that none of those have on it, which is the day he was born. Mm -hmm. And so as I'm sitting here looking at this tombstone, I realize I don't know if this guy's an 18-year-old draftee. I don't know if he's a 28-year-old Jewish guy who was so over what was happening to his people that he signed up, or if he was some 34-year-old guy who was at the movie theater watching a newsreel and saw uh, Pearl Harbor and said, uh -uh, America, not in my country. And so he went and signed <laughs> up. So first of all, I don't know how old he was. And then I started to think even deeper. Was he a good dad? Was he a bad dad? Was he a drunk? Was he a recovering alcoholic? Did he beat his wife? Did he love his wife? And I go through this like two, like a pro and con list of who this guy could have been. And then out of nowhere, I realize it doesn't matter because the only date that really matters is the one that's etched on 9,387 tombstones permanently in French marble the day that he died. And every one of those guys, all 9,387, died war heroes. Regardless of how they started, on that day, on that piece of rock, they were war heroes. Even if two days before they had been in jail in, some, in London somewhere thinking they weren't going to war, and then they're dead. And that's what it really means to finish well. It does not. I'm a Tim Tebow fan, man. I'm a Gator. Yeah. All yeah. right. If anybody knows what it's like to finish well, when you're down by 12 and you got three minutes left, a W is a W. It doesn't matter when you get it. Yep. Yep. And, and that's that's what it means to finish well. So most men that are listening, we have regret. My my mom always calls it sowing seeds of regret. You know, we've done stuff that's just stupid. Yeah. And some of us are right in the middle of broadcasting those seeds of regret right now. Maybe you're talking to somebody in social media that you shouldn't be talking to. Maybe you're having an inappropriate banter with somebody at the office. Uh, maybe you, you know, you've got a secret email address that nobody else knows about. You know that you're you're covertly communicating again with someone that you shouldn't be communicating with. I mean, th that's the reason why we have to have another man in our life because the last impression being the lasting one. Picture this: you die. Your wife scrolls through your phone and realizes all you did for the last Whoa. two years is cheat on her. Now she's got to put you in the ground Whoa. and speak highly of you mm -hmm. over your tombstone. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. mm -hmm. So you got to fix it now because you don't get tomorrow. We're vapor, man. We don't know when we're going to die. That's so good. You know what? Uh, in your book, chapter 21 was by far my favorite chapter. I, it just resonated with me. In fact, you're going to laugh at this. I have about 3,000 people who are friends on Facebook, and I went through my Facebook account, and I purged it because of what you said in the book. I, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not kidding. I really, really did. Yep. I probably removed 500 women off of there, and I kind of went through this. If there's no picture, they're gone. If it's somebody I don't know, they're gone. If it's a high school girlfriend, they're gone. If, and I kind of went through this whole list, and the only ones left are family members and girls that were in my youth group. And there so you go. Uh, I went through that, and I thought that was really good because in your book, you in that chapter, you talk about the sinking of the Titanic. You talk about 87% of the iceberg is under the surface. I think that's the right percentage. Uh, you, you spoke about the sinking of the Concordia. Oh. The Concordia, yeah. And the Concordia, and especially uh, the uh, captain, Captain, Sh oh, I ha don't have it written down. Shitten? Shitten? Shitino. Shitino. Well, I, I, I kind of came up with that other name on accident because he kind of crapped the bed on this deal. But, yeah. uh, but uh, man, this guy, uh, you had five things here that I would call guardrails. You would call them fail. Are you going to edit that out? Anyway, Shatino. Oh, anyway, no, we're going to leave it in. Anyway, but you said he failed. Five mistakes he made. He failed to stay away from the reef. He, he, in other words, he, he came in too close to the reef, and you talked about guys uh, reaching out to their high school girlfriends or a girl at the office or just getting a little bit too close. It's that whole Maverick and yep. Top Gun, the flyby, right? Flying too yep. close, the pattern is full. And then fail number two you said uh, that he executed the same, quote, too close to the reef maneuver three or four times before without any backlash. 
and and guys will and what you said here is guys will oh I did it once and it was okay I'll do it push again push the edge of the envelope man huh got to push that envelope one more time oh yeah yeah one more time I won't get caught fail three the ship's owner had made it clear that the maneuver was unauthorized and solely the captain's call and uh, I love that now you had said in that section you had said hey this guy went on a date. Uh, you know, this guy, a guy goes on a date, but I thought, you know, we have a captain and he's, and he's making the call and he's saying, Hey, there are certain truths that you need to understand and your secrets will be found out. You need to build guardrails. You need to glorify, you need to honor your wife. You need to do these things. And then, uh, I, the thing that cracked me up, man, I can just see this picture happening. It's tragic and it's horrible, but I, it was funny in my mind was this captain literally they say that the captain goes down with a ship, but this guy literally jumped ship and would not get back into the ship. He fails. Right. Well, yeah, he but, but it, what it, I wrote all over my page here that it's just frightening when men jump ship. That men jump ship. They oh, they, no, they cause the ship to sink and then they jump the ship. And so right, that. Leaving, leaving everybody else in a vapor trail. Yeah. It's, collateral damage. It's yep. just. Uh, and then he wouldn't get into the into that. So those five things really impacted me just not so much personally, but like we need to help our men. So can you talk us through the, your heart behind those five failures and, and uh, this chapter? Well, I think we've all done it. Um, and the thing about obviously the Titanic, the illusion, the, the illustration I used in the Titanic was it was designed by White Star to – withstand a forward impact and if the front four compartments were flooded they could still stay underway uh but because they decided to glance past it instead of hitting it head on consequently they flooded five compartments which resulted in the entire ship going down and and really it's an introspective question you know how many we all have a compartment flooded we're all pushing the envelope somewhere how far how how many compartments do you have flooded because once number five gets flooded the whole stinking thing is going down and that's that's really what that illustration was revolving. And I think everybody gets to a point where we're men, uh, we're going to test the fences and, you know, we'll, we'll test them once or twice. I think I know I speak for myself. My dad always told me, don't, don't pee on an electric fence, but what do you do when you get out of the raft? You know, it's like, Oh, my dad said not to do that, but what does he know? You know? And until a bolt of lightning goes right up. The, yeah, that too. I've seen and that like, happen to my dog. Like, Wow, my my dad was actually right, and I think sometimes if we if we just opened our ear flaps and listened to the people around us, um, we would avoid making a lot of mistakes that others have made. Now the the five fails, uh, everybody's done it. You know, I've seen it around me time and time again. You know, where it's like, oh, it's just a harmless. There's no such thing as a harmless lunch, or it's, it's a harmless lunch. And in my definition, there isn't one because. Uh, yep, again, you're right. Go, going back to social media, you went through and you purged your list. If you go to every female on your list and you ask yourself why she's a Facebook friend, if you don't have a legitimate answer, bye, you know, just take her off the list. Because yep. what happens is it's like, ah, well, you know, no one's ever, ever going to find out. Uh, I just, you know, it, it doesn't take much to go from, hey, how have you been? Oh, my, I'm divorced now. Really? Wow. Tell me about that. Let's get together and have lunch. If and I was emotionally married. If- if I was married to you, I wouldn't treat you that way. I've heard right. horror stories about that stupid line. Yes. Hey, you know, I, I actually get emails that will say they start out with, I wish my husband was more like you. Yeah, it's over, and baby. It's like, I'm gone. Bye. Hey, hey you know what? I'm going <laughs> to. Well, I'm oh, buddy, we need to have coffee. <laughs> so I tell my wife, I'm going to tell my wife because we get on the phone every morning now that she's up at C- in Seattle at school and we pray and read the Bible together. And I'm, I'm going to tell her, hey, listen. I forgot to tell her that this morning, but I wanted—I can't wait to tell her I deleted 500 women from my social media. What is my yep. wife hearing? I love you. Right. You are more important that's than That's what she's else. hearing because I don't care if that girl from 30 years ago in high school is pissed. What I care about is that my wife is in love and protected. Uh, total side note, my wife was a flight attendant for United Airlines for 13 years. So. Oh, no way. I'm telling yeah. you, buddy, me and you, baby. That's hey, tracking. hey tracking. that chapter 21, what really struck me about what you said about the Titanic was this. If they hit the iceberg head on, they wouldn't have sunk. So when a man is in a crisis moment or if a man is getting too close to a situation or if a man has fallen into sin, instead of keeping a secret, hit that son of a gun head on. Darn right. Hit it head on. So uh, we're and, out of... You know, it, yeah. took, it also took two people to steer that ship. So, 
you can, it's too big to turn that ship by yourself. You have your buddy grab, you know, grab the other side of the wheel and take that thing on head on because Jesus. those who have nothing to hide, hide nothing. And it will, you'll get found out and yeah. it'll be ugly. And it's not worth the collateral. It's not pretty and build a bigger rudder. Come on, people. Come on, build Will. a bigger rudder. Hey, I, I'm you inspired a quote in me, and uh, I heard this years ago. And the quote just says this, and this is just to encourage our guys out there who have hit an iceberg sideways and they're going down. Hey, here's the quote: You cannot go back and make a brand new start, my friend, but anyone can start now and make a brand new end. And so, guys, we yeah. want to encourage you, man. This has been a great podcast, David. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast, man. Yeah, I look no forward problem. to it. I look forward to reading your next book and uh, and hearing about what all God is doing in your ministry, man. Hey, Thanks. guys, you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast. Helping us transform the lives of men and those they love is as easy as one, two, three. One, follow us. Subscribe to the Man Card Podcast. And if you haven't done so yet, join the Men in the Arena Closed Facebook page. we got 4,500 men in there in under four months. It is going crazy. Number two, invest. Go to our gear page app on the website and invest in our resources to become that will help you become the best version of you. And number three, champion. Ask about launching a real time or one of our international virtual teams. We are a nonprofit organization that relies heavily on our monthly financial champions. So if you want to become a financial champion, let us know about that as well. And uh, David, thanks again for coming on. Men, join us and build an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best version of themselves and changing their world because when a man gets it, Everyone, Everyone wins. wins. Join the Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men. It's the best free resource out there for you guys. Until next time, feel the wet sand of the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. <laughs> this is Dale Culver, and you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast. Has your man card been challenged today? If you hunger to be the best version of you, then join thousands of men from around the world on our closed Facebook forum called The Men in the Arena. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of manhood. Also, make sure you ask about our newest equipping opportunity called The Man Card Weekend with The Men in the Arena. Let us inspire the men of your organization to become the best version of themselves today. And don't forget to purchase a copy of our popular field guide, A Bathroom Book for Men. Jim wrote this book for men who don't read books. It's a daily study of manly words explained with great stories. You will find enough entries to read one a day for an entire year. That's right, 365 daily readings on what a man is and does. Get your own copy at mancardpodcast.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Man Card Podcast. This is Dale Culver signing off. Until next time, join our army and become the best version of you. Get in the arena. Let the world feel the full weight of who you are. Grind it out. Be a man. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men's from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.